here we are in the exit room, downtown Lee Summit. And did you know there is two escape rooms from which you will never escape? There are two exit rooms from which you will never, ever exit. We're gonna try to find our way out of the exit room using some clues. We have 60 minutes and that is it. The timer has begun. And so how would I use this? We don't know either. But it's a clue. It is a clue. Abundant life. We made it out. Trust me, there were moments of doubt, okay? There were moments of doubt. I didn't know for sure we were gonna make it for Easter Sunday, but we did. And uh, if you don't know what an exit room is, they're kind of popping up all over town, something fun to do with your friends, family. They lock you in a room, literally. You gotta start looking for the clues to get you into yet another room that gives you more clues to finally get out of the room. And that's what we did. We were in the exit room. And uh, I don't know how you feel today walking into weekend Easter celebration. It may not feel like a celebration because you feel like maybe I'm locked in a tribulation, a trial, a season of suffering, or maybe sin. Frankly, we've been locked in the season of COVID far too long, amen? Hey, you want some good news? Jackson County's giving us full occupancy next week. Okay. <laughs> we are making the escape. The tape is coming off the road, so uh, we are going to be soon, I think, in a new chapter uh, post-COVID. That's good news. We understand the nature of this time and place is that there's always a past, a present, and future. Whether it's really, really good or really, really bad, it's not going to last forever. But do you understand that Jesus taught there's another dimension, there's another door, there's another room one day you will go through and you will go into, and it's not three-dimensional time and space, past, present, and future. It will last forever and ever and ever and ever. And this is why Jesus said in Revelation 1 and verse 8, this is an open letter to every man, every woman, for every generation. Jesus is dictating through one of his friends and followers, a man known as the Apostle John. He writes this, I am the Alpha and Omega. This is Jesus talking. I'm the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore, amen. I have the keys of Hades and death. Do you understand that this weekend celebration really is captured in culmination by this verse right here. Jesus says, I am he who that lives, though I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Now, I just have to remind you of this, because sometimes it can get lost. Some of you haven't heard this for a while, maybe you've never been told this at all, but Easter is not really about the Easter bunny. It's not. Yeah, it's not about Easter eggs. It's not about putting on a new Easter dress and your Sunday best and, you know, bright orange Easter shirts you get to wear once a year. It's not about any of that. Not really. It's not about the Reese's peanut butter cup Easter eggs, though they're really awesome. Amen. Yeah, they're amazing. It's not about that either. That's just an add-on. It really is about the greatest event ever in all of history. It changed forever humanity, has the power to change your destiny eternally. 2,000 years ago, the sinless Son of God came like the sons of men so that he could take all of our sin, so that we could be forgiven and become like him. He was crucified, he died, but three days later he rose from the dead, and today Jesus is very much alive. That's what it's about. That's why we're here. It's not simply Easter weekend. It is resurrection weekend. It's a celebration of a resurrection. He says, I am he that lives and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Now, what was Jesus teaching? Hades and death. Just like I went through this exit room this past week. Listen, there is a place Jesus taught, a room from which there is no exit. Jesus is teaching here there are two rooms from which there is no exit. There is death and there is Hades. And he was teaching simply death and Hades are two places from which there is no escape. It's death that claims the body. It's Hades that claims the soul. 
And let me explain what this means. It means, listen, God never intended any of us to die. I don't know if you realize that or not. We live in a world that God did not create. God created a world of perfection. God created a world that was gonna be COVID-free, cancer-free, disease-free, no death, no suffering, no deprivation, no depression. This came, this world that is, not because God created it like it is, but rather because of sin. See, God put this man named Adam in a garden, Genesis chapter three, he said, don't eat of that tree. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Adam ate, and the rest is history, and the world is still reeling. And I want you to see the reason we live in a world of such sickness and sadness and suffering is because the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23, not just Adam's sin, but our sin. It says the wages of sin is death. Now let me explain, because a lot of us aren't used to hearing this word sin. I mean, this little three-letter word, it's all over Scripture, right? It's all over the Bible. God talks about it a lot, but we don't talk about it much at all. It's not part of the modern American vernacular. It's not part of the modern American vocabulary. What is sin? Sin is simply missing the mark. That's what sin is. Sin is when you know what is right, but you still choose to do wrong. And there's not one among us at one time in our life, maybe lots of times in our life, that we did wrong even we knew what was right, yes? Come on, I'm not alone up here. Somebody help me, somebody have my back. Pastor Phil is not the only sinner here. All right, just wanna establish that. See, what is sin? Sin is simply God says do this and instead we do this. That's what a sin is. And the wages of sin is death. God is telling us, listen, this is the reason we live in this world of death. I've been to funerals before and I've heard pastors say, well guys, death is just a normal, natural part of the human experience. And I'm sitting there going, no it's not. I mean, not literally, but inside I'm going, no it's not. Theologically, no biblically, death was never meant to be part of the human experience. We were made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis chapter one, to be like God. What that means is we were going to live with immortality. We were going to have life everlasting. But God told Adam, don't eat of that tree. Adam ate, and the rest is history. That death sentence was passed on to you and me. So the wages of sin is now death. And what Jesus is teaching is that the penalty of sin is death physically, that's the grave, but also death spiritually, that's Hades. You see, it's death that claims the body, but it's Hades that claims the soul. Hades is a Greek word from which our modern word hell is often translated from. Now I need to explain, Hades, often translated as hell, it's not just what you commonly think of as hell. Though Luke 16, Jesus taught, it very much is like that. There's a hot site of Hades, you don't wanna go there, all right? This is what Jesus taught, Luke 16. But there was a paradise side of Hades, Jesus taught, and in the middle was a great gulf fixed between the two. You remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross as he was dying? He said, this day you'll be with me where? In paradise, there you go. Jesus went to Hades for three days, not to the hot side, but to the paradise side. Because in the ancient days, before Jesus came, if you followed God and you died, you could not go immediately into heaven because no one goes in the presence of God without the shed blood of the Son of God. So what happened before Jesus came to shed his blood, you would have gone to a place called paradise where Jesus went for three days and then he rose from the dead. Today the paradise side of Hades is empty because Ephesians 4 says, he descended to the lower parts of the earth and then ascended, leading captivity captive. Now, the bad news is the hot side of Hades is still occupied. Somebody says, well, I don't like that fire and brimstone preaching. You're gonna get it anyway. Because Jesus loves you enough to tell you the truth. He was teaching death claims the body, the grave claims the body. That's bad enough, but it ain't the worst part. Hades claims the soul, eternal separation from God forever and ever, because God is holy, he is sinless, and heaven is a place of sinless perfection. Now, the good news is, we're gonna find the way of escape. We're gonna play the exit room today, and we're gonna piece together the clues to figure out how to make the great escape and exit out of these two rooms from which otherwise there is no exit. You ready for this? Say, escape. Here we go, all right. Clue number one is this. There is no escape by being a good person. 
See, most Americans think, well, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I mean, there's no way I'm going to Hades because only bad people go to hell, good people go to heaven, and I'm certainly not a bad person, I'm a good person, therefore, I'm going to heaven because only bad people go to hell. I mean, I'm not a bad person, after all. I don't kill anybody, I haven't robbed anybody, I haven't sold meth to anybody. I mean, bad people like Osama bin Laden, he's a bad one. I mean, if there is a hell, maybe he went there. I mean, Adolf Hitler. I'm certainly not as bad as him. So I want you to see, though, what Jesus taught. Watch this. This is the words of Jesus, Matthew 19, 17. No one is good but one that is God. Here's a free clue. This ain't you. (laughs) See, Jesus was teaching we're using the wrong comparison. See, when we walk around going, well, I'm a a good person, we're comparing ourselves to the wrong person. What we're doing is saying, well, you know, I'm gooder than them, and I'm gooder than them, and I'm gooder than them, I'm gooder than her, I'm gooder than her. Here's the problem with comparison. You can always find people you're gooder than, but be careful, because you eventually find somebody who's gooder than you. See, Jesus thought compared to God, no one is good. Why? Because the, the standard of heaven is perfection, sinless perfection. What would happen to heaven if God let even one sin into heaven? Heaven, think with me, if God let one sin into heaven, would become like earth, a place of corruption. Which means the standard of heaven is not being a good person. The standard of heaven is being a perfect person. And there's not one among us, honestly, if we're honest, would say, yes, I have been perfect. I am awesome. I have never sinned even one time. Yes, you have. I have too. That's why Jesus taught that no one is good except for God because you're using the wrong standard. You cannot escape death and Hades just by being a good person. Yet this is what the world will teach you. I have a bucket full of keys and surely one of these keys of the hundreds of hundreds of keys are the way I can make the exit and make the escape out of death and Hades. Just be a good person. This is the key. So do right by everybody. Don't steal from anybody and uh, be kind to everybody and be nice to everybody and be a really, really good person, like maybe serve the homeless once a month on a Saturday and use some of your money to help those who you know, are in poverty. Just be a nice person and you'll find your way into heaven and you'll make the great escape out of Hades. Jesus says, no, you can't be a good person and get into heaven because it does not deal with the real issue, the real problem. And the problem for the human being is a problem of the human heart. We're all fallen by nature. Romans 3 and verse 10, it says, there is no None righteous, no, not one. That means no one is sinless. Romans 3.23, we have all missed the mark. It says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look at somebody right now and say, he's talking about you. Go ahead. He's talking about you. Now look at them and say, yeah, he's talking about you too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're, we're all in this together. We're all made of the same stuff, so we all struggle with the same stuff. We have all sinned. And that is why, it says in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. God is trying to get us to stop walking in self-deception, in self-distortion, like I'm a good person. God says, no, you're not a good person. Compared to me, you're a sinner. That means you're separated from heaven, a place of perfection. God wants to reveal to us our true condition because until he does, you cannot understand your need for redemption. You can't see your need for salvation. If you walk around going, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person, he gave us the 10 commandments for this reason, right? I mean, you may not have known all the 10 commandments by heart, you may not be able to quote them all by heart, but you've heard of the 10 commandments. Uh, They are God's top 10, right? God gave us the Ten Commandments not because he thought we would keep them, but because he knew we would break them. And you probably kept some of them. You might even kept most of them. But did you know what it says in James chapter two and ver- uh, cha- James 2 and verse 10? It says, if you stumble in even one of them, in the eyes of God, you've broken all of them. Why? Because it's pass-fail. It's 100% or nothing. There's no participation trophies in heaven. Oh, you tried hard. Uh-uh, it's 100% or nothing. If you break even one of them in the eyes of God, you might as well break all of them. So let's think about this for a moment. What are some of the Ten Commandments? Well, God said, for example, and I'll paraphrase these, thou shalt not cuss. 
Okay, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know what Jesus said? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The problem isn't the mouth, the problem is in the heart. Now, how many of you would honestly say, if we're being honest today, there are times I've let one slip. My hand is up. Both my hands are up. (laughs) Guys, I've been walking with Jesus a long, long time. This is one I still struggle with to this day. I'm just being honest. In the heat of the moment, hit my thumb with a hammer, get frustrated, and in the heat of the moment, let flip. I'm sorry, I'd like to bring it back. Too late. I still struggle with this one. Now, if you cuss even one time in the eyes of God, what does that make you? A cusser. <laughs> well, what's another one of the Ten Commandments? Uh, Thou shalt not steal. Have you ever stolen anything, even something small, just one time? I have. It's been a long time, but I have. I was six years of age. It was a life-changing event. I'm going to the grocery store with my mama and my daddy. We did it once a week, and we're going down the candy aisle. I swear to this day, it was a sting operation. (laughs) It was too much temptation for any six-year-old, okay? There's this open bag of bubble gum, big bag of bubble gum. It is open, somebody has torn it open. Bubble gum is laying everywhere. I think to myself, well, they must want me to take it. I start filling my pockets full of bubble gum and I get my little brother in on it because it's no fun to sin by yourself. (laughs) We're both filling our pockets full of bubble gum. Now we knew it was wrong. You know why? We had enough sense not to tell our mom and dad. I mean, why wouldn't we tell our mom and dad? Because we knew it was wrong. We wanted to conceal it and hide it. Even at six years of age, I had a moral conscience. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew what was right. We get home, we close the door on our bedroom, and we are having a bubblegum party. Woo, it is a party. I mean, we are blowing the biggest bubbles of our life. We are living it up. And then my mom comes in the bedroom door, still remember to this day, and she crashed our party bad. She asked, where did you get that gum? I did the only natural thing. I lied. Broke another commandment, thou shalt not lie. I said, Mom, we found it under the bed. We don't know where it came from. It was just under the bed. It's like a miracle. She didn't believe it. She loads us up in the family car. We drive back to that grocery store. I get a quarter out of my piggy bank. I present it to the manager. I confess my sin, ask to be forgiven. I never stole anything since. But in the eyes of God, guess what that makes me? A stealer and a liar. Let me ask you, have you ever cheated? Just one time, any time? I confess it, I cheated 11th grade biology. I cheated on a test. My best friend was very, very smart. He helped me cheat. I still got a C. I cheated my way to a C. Most people would say, well, Pastor Phil, you're a good person. I said, most people would say, Pastor Phil, you're a good person. (laughs) I'm really not. See, what I'm trying to say is, Pastor Phil is not a good person. I'm a liar, I'm a cheater, I'm a cusser, I'm a stealer. And before you start judging me, be careful, because you is too. See, we're not a room full of good people. We're not a church full of good people. Who's in this room right now? In the eyes of God, no one is good but God. We're all liars, we're all cheaters, we're all cussers, we're all stealers. And that is why being a good person cannot get you out of Hades and into heaven. Now, clue number two, listen carefully. Clue number two, there is no escape by getting religion. Because this is what most people try to do. Well, I'm going to be a good person, and you know, I'm going to make extra sure I get into heaven because I'm going to get a little religion. And so, you know, a lot of people think to themselves, I need to get some religion. You know, Easter weekends when a lot of people come back to church, they've been out of church, and uh, you know, yeah, you come back to church, and hey, I'm telling you, I am glad you're in church, but I have to be honest with you, the fact that you're in church does not guarantee that you're going to be in heaven. I drive into a garage multiple times a day. So far, I have not become a car. 
going to church does not guarantee you're a Christian, that you have redemption. And you need to know, Jesus didn't come to give us more religion. He came to give us something far better called redemption. And they're not the same thing. Yet, you know, we have this world that says, hey, just, just find religion. I mean, you know, you got Jesus, you got Allah, you got Buddha. I mean, it's really all the same. Any God will do. I mean, the Hindus have a million gods. Just, just choose anyone. Anyone will do. They all lead to heaven. All roads lead to God. I mean, find a religion. It doesn't really matter. They all lead to the same place. It's not true. Well, that's what the world says. Just get a little religion. Any religion will do. Do you understand religion by definition is about you working your way to God when Christianity is about God working for you? It's not what you do for God, it's what God has done for you. Religion is about keeping a list of things to do. But redemption is not built on lists, it's built on love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, that's the difference between what it means to be a Christian and what it means to get religion. It's about, you know, keeping my list of things to do, my religious list, and hopefully I have the right list, and hopefully I keep the list. So, you know, in some religious traditions that have distorted what it means to be a Christian, it goes something like this. Well, I've got my list. It begins with baptism. That's one of the keys. I got to get baptized. And then it's communion. There's another key. I got, I got to have communion and take communion. And uh, here's another key. I got to go through confirmation. That's on the list too. And well, I got to memorize the catechism. That's on the list too. And uh, you know, there's always this list of things to do. Maybe that was your religious tradition. Here was my religious tradition from my denomination. Everybody has a list. It's just a different list. It went something like this. Well, you know, I prayed the prayer at six years of age and asked Jesus into my heart. And then I prayed it again when I was 10, and just in case the first one didn't take, right? And, and, and then I went to vacation Bible school, and I prayed it then too. And then when I was 14, I went to middle school youth camp, and all my friends went forward to the altar, and everybody cried, and I cried too. I mean, that has to count for something, right? And not only that, but I got baptized. Not only did I get baptized, I didn't just get sprinkled. I got dunked. I mean, I got wet all over. Right? We all got a list, a list of things to do. You need to understand religion is about a list of things you have to do to get into heaven. But being a Christian is not about what you do for God. It's about what God has done for you. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, who had no sin, took upon himself all of your sin. This is in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He traded places with us on the cross. He took all of his righteousness and placed it on us. And he took all of our sin and placed it on him. He took our punishment. He took our penalty. It's by his blood he has pardoned us. It's by his blood he has saved us and redeemed us and exonerated us and now considers us innocent of sin. Do you understand as Jesus hung on the cross, the last thing he said before he died was, it is finished. You know what he was teaching? By those words, there's nothing left for you to do. Religion, I'm convinced, is the greatest distortion of redemption. You know what religion is? It's a cover-up. It doesn't deal with the real problem. The problem is sin. Religion does nothing to cleanse us of sin. It just covers up our sin. I'm going to illustrate like this, guys. I'm sorry if uh, it makes you uncomfortable uh, because it's maybe a little too personal. Like, you know, today you may think, Phil, you've given us way too much information. All right, but here goes. I use deodorant. Some of you should be more thankful than you are. I use deodorant. You know why? Because apart from it, I would stink. We're stinky people. We just cover it up. Deodorant's a cover-up. Now, on a normal day, I'm just going to the office like I'm a seven or eight swipe guy. But on Sundays when I'm preaching, I told you more information than you wanted. I'm a 30 swipe guy. I lay it on thick. 
You know why? Because if the truth offends you, that's on you. I just don't want my poor hygiene to offend you. All right, that's on me. Hey, not only am I a 30-swipe guy on Sundays, man, I'll lay it on thick. It's a cover-up. But the last thing I do when I leave the green room and I come out here to meet and greet and preach, I have cologne back there. Gucci guilty. <laughs> I didn't name it, I just use it. And the last thing I do, I'm just telling you, <laughs> people say, Pastor Phil, you smell good. I hear sometimes, man, Pastor, what are you wearing? You smell good. I'm just being honest with you. No, I don't. It's a cover-up. If I did nothing with myself for three days, I promise, I wouldn't smell good. And by the way, you wouldn't either. Do you understand that's how God sees our sin? We can cover it up, but it doesn't deal with the problem. Because to God, our sin stinks. You're a stinky person, I am too. Now think, if God allowed our sin into heaven, even with all of our religion, you would stink to high heaven. I'm trying. See, we need more than just to cover up the smell. We need to cleanse the smell. We, we need a cleansing, not a covering. And this is what Jesus offers. One is religion. The other, you see, is true redemption. I'm trying to tell you today, you can try every single key to make the great escape, being a good person, getting some religion, going to church on Easter weekend, even on a sunny, amazing day. Here I am in church. And you can rattle every door to try to make the escape. But I'm giving you the clues. These clues are for you. For by grace, you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You hear what he's saying? This is the Apostle Paul. Grace, God giving you something you do not deserve. It's Jesus dying for you, for your sin, as an act of his grace. And you're saved by grace through faith when you put your faith in what Jesus did for you. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, you're not gonna get to heaven by your works and no one will ever get there and say, I got here because I'm so awesome and I worked my way into heaven. Listen carefully, heaven is not a reward for being good. Heaven is a gift appropriated by grace that you receive through faith. Now let me ask you, we're halfway through. Are you connecting the clues? Okay guys, so this is not going well. We're still in our first room. We're 10 minutes in. We haven't found one clue. It's very frustrating. Dad, you can't, you can't use your phone. You can't use your phone. I think we need to pray. Lord, we really need your help right now. Yes, Lord. We will not get out of here. Thank you. Ever. Yes, Ever. Ever. We have 27 minutes and 30 seconds left. We finally got into the second room. It took forever to find that clue. We still haven't found our way out of this room. I just want you guys to know you're doing a great job. Great job. All right, I'm done. But we're not done. Some of us may feel like, I'm done. I mean, I've tried everything to do. You've tried religion, being a good person. It's never enough, can never measure up. I'm done. Now, I've given you the first two clues. They're the bad news. I'm preaching the gospel. The gospel means good news. The fact that there's good news demands there is bad news. The first two clues was bad news. Now, I'm going to give you the next two clues, and they are good news. Clue number three, Jesus is God. It is a good thing Jesus is God. Because if he was just a man, he couldn't help you. Listen, I, I love you, and when I say that, I really, really do. But guess what? My love can't help you. Not eternally. I could give my life for you, and the reality is if I had to, I would lay down my life for any of you. I would. God knows if I'm lying, but check this out. That can't really help you. It might extend your life by a few years, but eventually you too would die. Listen carefully. If Jesus wasn't God, we would still be in death and Hades eternally. 
And this is why Jesus came. Jesus made the escape because he is the Almighty. He's the only one that went into the grave and went into Hades, but three days later, he made the great escape. He died, but three days later, he came out alive. And that's why 1 Corinthians 15 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one that died for our sin. And he laid in the grave for three days. And his soul was in Hades for three days. And the devil thought, no one's gotten out of here before. No one's risen from here before. All the sins of the world are laid on him. He's not getting out of here. But three days later, he rose from the dead, holding a set of keys, saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. I'm he that was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of hell and death. And I am here to set you free. And that's what we celebrate on this weekend. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. Look at what he's claiming. Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. He's saying, I'm everything from A to Z and everything in the middle. I'm the beginning and the end. You know what he's saying? I am the beginner of the beginning. Did you know that scientists have traced back the beginning of our universe? Scientists have determined, even those that do not believe in God, that the universe is not eternal. Even scientists that don't believe in God have determined the universe had a beginning using the scientific law of cause and effect. Cause and effect. They've traced back the beginning of the universe with one cause and finding the effect. Another cause finding the effect. And when they get back to the very beginning, they can find the effect, but they cannot explain the cause. You know what Jesus is saying? I'm the one that did it. I'm the beginning. I'm the cause. You see, the natural universe cannot even be explained purely through naturalistic causes. That means it had to begin supernaturally, and Jesus is the one. Colossians chapter one, he is the visible image of the invisible God, the creator of all that is, and in him all things consist by him and for him, and in him he is who was, who is, and will come. He's saying, I'm outside of your place of time and space. I'm from everlasting to everlasting. I am the almighty. You've heard of God Almighty. He's saying, I am God Almighty. You say, Phil, how do we know that Jesus really was God? I mean, that is a big ask. Listen, there was a time in my life, 21 years of age, I've been raised in a church like this one to know the truth of what Jesus did, that he died for my sin and rose again. By the time I was a young adult, I had run from God. I was far, far from God. I hadn't been in church in a long, long time. I wasn't sure if I even still believed. I mean, how do I even know it's true? Just because I grew up and was told it was true. I was running from God, wrestling with God, but I began to do something. I wanted to find the evidence. I may have been a C student, but I had enough brains to know I'm not just gonna blindly believe. Show me some evidence for which I can believe. And I came to the conclusion that Jesus is the Almighty. Let me tell you how. I began to study the prophecies. Did you know the Old Testament of your Bible is the Jewish Bible? It is the Jewish Scripture. And did you know that century after century, the Jewish prophets foretold that one day the Messiah, the Anointed One, God's Son, would come. And century after century, prophecy after prophecy foretold of this one that would one day come. And did you know that we can prove literally one man in history fulfilled every single one of these prophecies? We can prove it happened literally, historically. Only one man in history fulfilled all of them perfectly. His name is Jesus. It was prophesied that the Messiah would be a Jew, and Jesus was, of the tribe of Judah, and Jesus was, of the household of David, and Jesus was, the lineage of Jesse, and Jesus was, born in Bethlehem, and Jesus was, crucified between thieves, and Jesus was, betrayed for silver, and Jesus was, that his garments would be gambled for at the foot of the cross, and Jesus was, over and over and over again. Now listen, someone could get lucky and fulfill two of them, somebody could get lucky and stumble into 10 of them, but no one could get lucky and fulfill all of them. We're talking over 300 of them. That is a statistical impossibility. It had to happen supernaturally, providentially. 
If you don't believe me, believe Peter Stoner. He is a scientist, an expert in the modern science of probability. He wrote about this in his book, Science Speaks. You can look this up online. Here is a scientist simply going to follow the evidence wherever it leads using the modern science of probability. And what he discovered is that the random chance of any one man in history accidentally fulfilling just eight of these prophecies, not all 300 of them, just eight of them, the probability that anyone could just get lucky and fulfill just eight of these prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros behind it. Here's what he was saying. It is mathematically, not just an improbability, it is mathematically, statistically, an impossibility that anyone could fulfill all of these prophecies, follow the evidence wherever it leads. Jesus is the Almighty. He is the promised one, the anointed one. He is God's Son who came as the sons of men to take all of our sin And that's why he says, I am he who is and who was and is to come, the almighty. Clue number four, Jesus died for our sin and rose again. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came for a crucifixion. There'd be no celebration of the resurrection had Jesus not first come for the cross. He died for our sin. He took our blame, our stain, our shame. And three days later, he conquered death and Hades because he came out alive. He could die as humanity, but he couldn't stay dead because he was more than humanity. He was deity, the second person of the Trinity. 2,000 years ago, the sinless Son of God came like the sons of men to take all of our sins so that we could be forgiven. God became a man to become our sacrificial lamb. Jesus made the escape to redeem us from sin's penalty. Somebody had to die. Remember, the wages of sin is death. But the good news is the last part of that verse, Romans six twenty three: the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. And that's why he says, I'm he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I hold the keys of Hades and death. He's here to set you free, to make the exit out of the two rooms, the two places from which there is no escape. Okay, y'all, this is a very, very exciting moment. We have finally found what we think is the final clue, the final code to get out of here. Time is ticking down. We have like less than two minutes to find our way out. And so here you go. Let's do this together. Ready? Listen careful, careful, careful. There are two rooms from which there is no escape. This was a lot of fun today, but there are two rooms from which there is no exit, death and Hades, and Jesus alone has the keys. You're not smart enough to find your way out. You're not strong enough to find your way out. Jesus alone is the one who has the keys to death and hell. Connect the clues. It leads you to one place. Jesus has the keys to set us free. In Christ, we escape death, and we escape Hades. Jesus said in John chapter 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Now, I need to be honest about something. We didn't figure our way out of there. No, we would still be in there. Maybe forever. You see, what we had to do was ask for help. There was this little cutout cardboard sign that anytime you got stuck, you could hold it up to the camera. Basically say, help! And there was somebody on the outside that had all the clues. He was watching the whole time. He wasn't in the room with us, yet he was very much present with us. Do you understand? We couldn't see him, he could see us. See, you can't see God, but he can see you. And you will never find your exit on your own. 
We never would have. We had to ask for help. Today is the day. God is waiting on you. He's made his move. He's waiting on you to make yours help. God, I need you. I was 21 years of age. I've been far, far from God. Wrestling from God, running from God, but what I found out is I could run, but I could not hide. Some of us have been running. I'm telling you today, you cannot hide. God loves you too much. He is in hot pursuit. And God was pursuing my life. I tried to run, but I could not hide. I could not outrun the truth. I tried every single key the world told me to, to try at the young age of 21. I had tried popularity. I had tried prestige. I had tried party, party, party. I, I had tried position. I had tried, you know, athleticism. I had tried high achievement. I was going to make the escape with accomplishment. I had tried them all. I didn't know what else to do. I've been running from God. 21 years of age, I'm on the way home for Christmas break from Lawrence, Kansas. 435 in state line, I get run off the road by an 18-wheeler semi. The tracks in the snow told the story I was completely out of control. I crossed over the center median into oncoming traffic. I was doing 360s. I was still cool. I thought I could do it. I thought I could recover. Some of you know what I'm talking about because your life is out of control. And you think you can recover. You think you can manage it. No, I'm telling you, you can't manage it. I realized at some point, I'm not going to recover. I am doing 360s. I'm going back onto the same side of the highway I started. And this time I look up, I see an 18-wheeler semi coming at me, a second one. And it's just like you hear in these life and death moments when your life seems to slow down and it's flashing in front of your eyes and what takes only seconds seems to be going in slow motion. And I look up, I see that 18-wheeler coming and I'm telling you in that moment I resigned my life. I knew that I was about to die. I was in a 1978 Camaro. That Camaro was about to be my coffin. And I knew I was gonna die. There's no way I'm gonna survive. And it's amazing the things you can think about in those milliseconds as your life is flashing in front of your eyes. I apparently had paid attention in Sunday school because the last thing I thought right before impact were these words, I know there's a heaven, I know there's a hell, I don't know where I'm going, but I guess I'm gonna know now. As you can see, I lived. I'm glad two more people besides myself are thankful <laughs> that I lived. But church, I'm telling you, I tell people this day, though I lived, that is the day I died. I went to a funeral in 1989, that funeral was mine. And that funeral changed my life forever. It's never been the same. I went straight home. I got on my bedroom floor. I got on my knees. I got on my face before God. I repented of my sin. And I gave my life fully, completely, finally to him. And on that day, somebody died. But when that young man stood up, a resurrection took place. And for the first time, I was fully alive. Jesus changed my life. He changed my life. I was on my way to death in Hades. I was on a pathway of destruction and ruin. The wages of sin is death. Today, had I survived, I'm telling you, I would have been an alcoholic. I was headed for addiction. I was headed for alcoholism. And Jesus redefined my future. He set me free. He said, I've got the keys. I want you to listen to this song that you're about to hear. I want you to listen to the words. I want you to reflect on your own life. I want you to have a little time of introspection, and I want you to ask yourself, what is my destination? Listen carefully and let the light begin to shine.
What did I have to do that day in 1989? I had tried all the keys the world had given me. All the keys the world promised would set me free. And that day on my bedroom floor, I emptied the bucket. I emptied myself before God. I gave up on self. I gave it all to Jesus. And when I did, I found something. It was there all along. In the middle of all these keys, I found the one key 
that was there all along, the one I needed. Can you see what it is? There's the key. The only key you need is the cross. See, Jesus is the key. Jesus has the keys to set you free now and eternally. I'm gonna ask you to bow with me right now for just a moment. Watching online in your living room, in your home, right here in this auditorium, Blue Springs Independence, wherever you are. I want you to reflect. Do you know absolutely your destiny eternally, where you would be? Two rooms from which there is no exit, death and Hades. But all of that can change right here, right now. I got up off my knees, a changed person. I have never been the same. You can leave here today and your life can be forever changed. I want you to pray with me if you're not sure where you stand with God, where you would be if you open your eyes in eternity today. I want you to pray a simple prayer I prayed many years ago on my bedroom floor. God will hear your prayer right where you sit. He'll forgive your sin. He'll give you a new beginning. I want to invite you to pray right now. Pray it quietly. God will hear your prayer. Pray this with me. Say, Jesus. Say, Jesus, I know that I have sinned. That heaven is a place of perfection. That I cannot get to heaven by religion or being a good person. But I believe you died for my sin, that you rose again, that you're alive today. And today I empty my bucket. I empty myself before you. Would you come and fill me up? Come change me from within. Help me now to follow you all the days of my life until one day I see you. And I know that one day I will. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give Jesus?